0: Bobby, I'd I'd like to to begin this in a different way, I think. I'd like to say to the audience that I don't feel at all objective about this, Uh, that I have known you both personally and professionally for several years, Uh, that I have the utmost admiration and respect for you that I have observed you always driven almost beyond human endurance by your devotion to your own people and to what you thought their needs were. I remember that you were one of the first black people that I ever spoke to who pointed out that this was not a racist thing who refused the idea of hating all white people and who helped to incorporate that into the philosophy of the Black Panther Party you and Huey uh, and Eldridge and David uh, I, I I don't feel uh, objective uh, I feel well, all through the second world War in Europe, I felt ashamed that I was not a Jewess, and now I feel ashamed that I'm not black and uh, I'd like you to talk a little, Bobby, if you would, as we used to talk when you came to see us about how you got into all this. After all, there are ways that anybody as bright as you are and as beautiful as you are, uh, could have made it. Uh, You're a wonderful mimic. You probably could have been a well-known comedian by now. Uh, What what and when and how did you start on the road uh, which has led to where you are now?
1: Well, I'd like to say that you're a very beautiful human being, Elsa, and um, that for sure, regardless of color, is uh, nothing to ever be ashamed of. And uh, to be proud of being a human being and respect the right for people to survive, uh, this has always been uh, my understanding of Your humanism and this shows me more so that it's not a race struggle, it is in fact a class struggle of uh, dominating uh, ruling class circles who are oppressive and who exploit the people and these ruling class circles are infested in the government and uh, with all their atrocious tactics of murder and terror against the people and especially black people and other brown people and other poor oppressed people, um, it's necessary that uh, people's humanism is at the top of the ladder to uh, guide correctly uh, the development of mankind even to the extent of uh, us getting rid of these uh, ruling class warmongers and uh, brutal, uh, well, this brutal system of government, you know, that's been brutal to black people and others for a long time, many, many years. Um, I don't know, I remember I got kicked out of the uh, U.S. military in the service over 10 years ago now. i put in almost four years, like a month, in the U.S. military service in the Air Force. And uh, I do, and I always have remembered, <laughs> a simple, weird question that hung in my mind when I was kicked out of the service with what they call a bad conduct discharge. I got the discharge because I refused to accept uh, a operation on the part of a, my commanding officer at the time who was the friend, Oh, it was in fact members of his family who owned a collected agency downtown, and he was going to put me in the stockade if I didn't bring those bills that I had up to date. Uh, I, I had some drums. I was a musician. Uh, used to play drums. Trap set it cost me six hundred dollars, and I got behind on the bills. And this collecting agency was the uh, <laughs> was the family uh, man of a, p- a person of uh, relative to the commanding officer, and uh, he got to cussing me out in his office and telling me he's going to put me in the stockade. I was arguing with him about the fact that I knew I had to pay the bills, and I'd been to the credit union trying to get money to pay the bills and bring them up and I didn't think he should treat me like that and give me a chance to do it and he jumped up behind his desk and it was a steel model plane uh, sitting up on his desk and he snatched at it and waved it in my face and I snatched it out of his hand and a sergeant come in there and I figured they was going to do bodily harm to me so I proceeded to defend myself military service or no military service and I got back and discharge after being in the stockade eight months and uh, this uh, person at the administration building the day I picked up my discharge and left the base told me that uh, you know in a very snotty hateful manner that when you get your little black ass back out there you won't be able to get a job and I told him that uh, no I asked him I say first I say what you want to say something like that for well that's just the way it's gonna be for you and uh, I say well I'd like to reform you that there wasn't no damn jobs out there when I come in (laughs) and he says I had five minutes to get off the base And I asked him what was he going to do with the other four minutes and uh, 59 seconds because it didn't take me no time to get off the base. I didn't have no time to stand there. I know that uh, him saying that to me stuck in my mind, but uh, I don't think I'm too much different from the average brother that grows up in the black community. Uh, I never finished high school. I finished high school, but the regular run of high school, I was kicked out of that three days uh, before graduation because of disagreements between a gym teacher and I, my left foot is injured and I always wanted to play football. And they corralled me <laughs> in the uh, exercise room. And I knew better because I'd do 10 and 20 miles of hiking in the hills and stuff like this here. And I guess my family was just regular family. My father is a master carpenter, but many times there was times when he couldn't get a job and there was times when, regularly, environment of the black community. One time where he had to defend himself against a man attacking him, and he shot him. And later, they wouldn't give him any more government jobs. And he's a master carpenter. He taught me everything, and I got a lot of trades, you know. But it's just a lot of things. It seems like every time uh, I go through a phase of something high school, I didn't graduate, I went back later and got my high school diploma and after I got out of the service and military service right up to one month before that I didn't come out of that and it's always that racism infested in that system it's subtle a lot of times and it's quite overt most of the time
0: When did you meet Huey and and and, and begin to think in terms not just of what was done to you and what was done to your family and what was done to the people around you, but in terms of the fact that something might be done about that. In other words, when did you start to think in political terms? Well, I
1: really started thinking, I guess, in political terms. uh, I've seen, well, I guess I've seen politics more with some kind of practice of trying to do something about the things that I began to observe as politically wrong. And I began to observe those things uh, more concretely, being politically wrong, when I did run into Huey, when I met Huey at Merritt College. This is about, what was that, two, three years after I got out of the service. And that was about eight years ago now, back in uh, 1961. I think it was, 61, at Merritt College. 61 or 62? 61, no, it was 61. The year of the blockade. Was that 61?
0: I think so. Okay, <laughs> I think the, so. Kennedy <laughs> had the blockade
1: on Cuba. That's when I met Huey. And um, I guess I s- began to try to help do something because I knew something was wrong. Prior to that, I think I rejected racism quite a while back, like most black people have, you know. Uh, rejected the injustice. It seemed, I think, as far back as overtly trying to object to, uh, object to it was when I was about 16 and uh, I felt it and I saw it uh, I saw myself get regulated you know like the average black brother in the black community through the shop courses and I wasn't supposed to be able to deal with academics said the counselor uh, things like this here the poverty and other things in the black community where we were located brutality and I saw uh White cops shoot down a black man as young as 13, and I also black saw black saw black people shoot down each other. Is uh, that young? And I rejected it, and uh, I've always tried, I guess, to uh, just like anybody else tries: survive, live, and get a job. What have you, you know? But the development of the political thinking and understanding and grasping that perspective, I guess, was around the time when I met Huey and began to see a number of organizations around 1961 coming up and cropping up and trying to join these organizations and do things. And off and on, I I didn't run with Huey very closely, but I knew him rather well in terms of, we was always friends towards each other. And he was the one of the first, he's the first person had given me directions to be able to join the Afro-American Association at the time, which now has become a, well, a long time ago, it became what we call a culture nationalist organization, really holding the people's struggle back. And Huey got out of it, and then later I got out of it. And off and on from there, has been knowing Huey and he and I working together on campus on certain projects here and, there, and in and out of different organizations. To one day, uh, three years ago, well, almost four now. Years ago, uh, we resigned from um, an organization that we helped build on the campus because of cultural nationalism again. Black racism is cross-related with cultural nationalism and uh, other factors relating to these. Most a lot of the college students not having the proper perspective about uh, the historical experience of black people. Uh, and how uh, it's directly related to a correct development, to to teach the correct development, that is, of mankind, whereas the ideology that black people need to purport or to put forth is directly related to uh, Marxist-Leninism, that is, our historical experiences. It would be a rather different ideology to some extent, to a large extent, in fact, but it still comes out of the the historical experience of black people and the ideology developed by black people. It comes from or is related to uh, Marxist-Leninism because we see Marxist-Leninism as a philosophy that relates to the correct development of mankind and trying to solve problems. I think we learn this. I think we begin to see the need, you know to move to a level of um, thi- uh, thinking about the necessity to build, uh, you know, g- have control of our own destiny, our own black communities, but when you see something so practical, a philosophy and philosophical point of view so practical, such as when Marx says that the ultimate goal of mankind is, is that of ending exploitation of man by man and the oppression, etc., that to um, implement a system a system uh, that deals with that absolute equality by starting or beginning to implement uh, well on the basis of what uh, from each person according to his or her ability and to each person according to his or her uh, needs and so Understanding this in direct relation to the historical experiences of black people in America under the oppression that we've suffered, and going forth then to implement a basic ten-point platform and program that's directly related to the basic desires and needs of black people here in America, I think, and then in fact, the ideology as a whole is placed and being placed into practice. I think this is what give the Black Panther Party members as a whole you know an understanding politically and a political perspective
0: and Bobby, so many times the uh, accusation is made that uh, it's just a sort of um, gunman's group and uh, that it is a terrorist group now uh, again I must put my own experience uh, into this in, in order to say it honestly uh, I remember the night when Eldridge and Warren Wells Mm -hmm. were wounded and uh, Bobby Hutton was shot and I was in what was then called Defremory Park the next day and I saw you on top of a sound truck where you could have been picked off from any place for half a mile around with uh, thousands of black people in that park and uh, I remember what you were saying to them what you were saying to them was uh, don't riot organize yeah Uh, you were talking about self defense Uh, you uh, you cooled the crowd you could have started a riot I think that day without too much trouble Uh, and you did the exact reverse More recently, when there was a brush with the San Francisco police at the Black Panther headquarters in San Francisco, it was Father Eugene Boyle of the Catholic Church who came on KPFA air and testified to our audience that it was the Panthers that averted a riot at that point. Now, uh, I wish you would talk something about the difference that you mean between self-defense which um, I guess every American has the right to uh, I mean white people have always had the right to have guns and terrorism and uh, shooting comps and the kinds of things which are said about the Black Panther organization and which in my experience of hearing you speak to black people Mm-hmm. It the two things don't jive.
1: Um, that's correct in terms of uh, how the uh, demagogic, uh, lying, misleading politicians uh, mislead and lie to the people consistently about the party. And uh, our main concern is with uh, the survival of Black people. This again is related to the historical experience. Even the last five-year history of black people in the black communities where over 250 black rebellions have occurred, uh, riots spontaneous on the part of the people. And, of course, uh, we know that it's directly in some instances in opposition to the decadent uh, oppressive conditions that black people subjected to in the black community. But... Uh, It was not telling the people not to riot. We don't believe in riots, one, because of this historical experience. That historical experience showed us, showed Huey, uh, uh, Huey P. Newton, that the only thing that happens when a spontaneous riot breaks out is that thousands of black people uh, are arrested, uh, for example, or hypothetically and, well, concretely, as is related to many uh, real examples, f- 25 or 50 are killed, 150 or 200 are wounded, uh, 2,000 or three or 4,000 are arrested, and there's no leadership and there's no organization to direct black people, and uh, all those black people are not safe uh, it's with that spontaneity movement. And they're not being a real organization that's really for the people, that will stand up for the people and teach them the correct methods by which to resist the oppression and the brutality and the unjust attacks that cops make in the black community. Uh, when they come down in the community, even during a riot, uh, the overt uh, shooting of numerous rounds off into numerous buildings on a block and black people sitting up innocently and being shot and children being shot and killed that's what happened in Newark when the riots were going on there we teach uh, young blacks that first they must be organized we must understand the correct methods by which to resist the power structure and we also teach black people all of them that they have a right to have weapons in their home by this very constitutional amendment the second amendment of the United States and they have a right as human beings to defend themselves when unjustly attacked and we have advocated that and we will continue to advocate that because that's the brink of uh, survival we also teach black people that <coughs> it's not necessary to go out and work on a scale of rock and bottle operations but that in fact uh, the police occupy community, lack of foreign troop occupies territory And we teach them that it's a fascist operation, fascist tactics that they use against black people, and that when uh, we're attacked by cops, when the politicians, what have you, and the CIA behind the scene and the FBI are working out maneuvers to try to spontaneously get black people to come out and test their... uh, uh, state ability to corral such (laughs) we're trying to show black people that not to fall into those kind of traps that uh, block clubs and block organizations and if our community is overtly invaded then uh, we should be able to learn how to run in small groups of threes and foes and be able to defend ourselves from door to door from house to house from block to block against invasion and attack on the part of the police and any kind of maneuvers that the fascists try to pull with their regular organized militia so it was all in all primarily a thing for black people to survive at the same time uh, as I've said just it's it's related to experience you know of black people this is what the ideology of the party is but I would like to say that self-defense is more it's more than just uh, physical self-defense. Uh, when we speak about the uh, First Amendment of the Constitution of the United States that says free speech, freedom of press, freedom to assemble, freedom to protest, and redress our grievances, you know, etc. And we look back at the experience of black people trying to exercise in many occasions, historically and presently, uh, those constitutional rights when we look back and see that uh, those very things in any society must exist you know that's written and we are denied those rights we see the police as uh, an intim- a force to intimidate people out of not attempting to organize to put out a newspaper organ or if they do put one out uh, it has to be uh, regulated by what the uh, exploiting capitalists want them to say, or what have you, or the establishment. And uh, people attempting to assemble, we have to teach the people that they have a right to defend themselves for those things because what they will be assembling about and what they are assembling about and trying to use free speech about is to use them to organize the people to change the system so we can reach that goal of uh, absolute equality for man, of, 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 of all mankind. Uh, this is what it's all about, to end that oppression, to use that constitutional right to transform the society into uh, something that's functional, you know, to make that law actually function for the people. Uh, in essence, as Huey says, uh, laws are made by mankind to serve mankind. And once those laws stop serving mankind, then they must be changed. Or uh, you revert to, if these laws don't exist, then the people have to go forth to see that they do exist. And speech, assembly, uh, education of the people through newspapers, what have you, about new ideas about how to survive and how the society should run, about the right to determine our own destiny, about the need for full employment, better schools and the police brutality, etc., well, uh, the power structure has done everything they can in the last three years, making political prisons out of over 50 of us, which hasn't stopped the party, though. They've killed numerous members of the Black Panther Party, and they've been in battles where the cops have attacked us, and we followed our principles. we defended ourselves when unjustly attacked. they raided homes and offices all over this country. And... Uh, we be, we use then the second amendment constitutional right to be able to bear those arms you know and that human right to defend ourselves when they when they do this so i think we begin to see the concreteness of the uh, a very just struggle against the oppression you know of uh, black people and we don't what we're doing is living to two black people in the black community, we see Indian Americans, Chinese Americans uh, the Chicano peoples, there's 15 million strong in this country and population wise uh, black people over 30 million and many other peoples we see them using these same uh, basic human uh, tactics and rights and constitutional rights uh, even to the level of the court where I just come from, as you know. And uh, an overt denial, that's what the whole thing was about. He denied me my constitutional rights to have my attorney there. He denied me the assistance of Charles R. Gary. And then in turn, uh, I asked for the right to defend myself and denied me
0: that right. I've heard several lawyers say, and I assume that you discussed this with uh, people like Kunstler uh, who are there in Chicago, uh, that it is a legal right of a prisoner to defend himself. Yes. Uh, yes. That is the opinion of the legal, uh, uh, of the, of the, uh, attorneys uh, that that uh, you have discussed this with I mean when you asked for the right to defend yourself uh, as far as you knew you had that right under the law
1: if you want to get down into the technicalities of it the 6th uh, Amendment of the Constitution of the United States which describes this really, really says that a person accused should enjoy the right to the assistance of counsel if you even want to be that technical about it, you see know what I mean? It's really the defendant himself speaking out for himself, but he takes and hires a person who's a professional to do so. But every defendant, you know, with that very description in the Constitution, assistance of counsel, means that a counsel assists me, you see? So uh, if I decide, desire not to have, you know, someone to assist me, then in turn, I'll automatically it's clear that I have that right to defend myself that's the real technicality and the Supreme Court has interpreted that to be counsel of choice you see when they say he has, enjoys the right to assist as a counsel counsel of choice and who is effective you see that he feels that that defendant might feel is effective so uh, anyway I chose one as we all know Charles Algieri, uh one who my choice and it was effective, I was denied his services, so I demanded my right to defend my own self, and I was denied that. I argued and made motions, etc. Uh, I sit in that courtroom for a solid four weeks. You know, every other day I'd get up, or I'd get up and have a written motion in my hand and read it into the record and, and in turn attempt to argue that motion, and I was told to shut up and sit down. And many times I was just pushed down and shoved in my seat and it got to a point that he didn't want to recognize so when he would push me down in my seat or have those marshals push me down in my seat Uh, this is the beginning four weeks I would uh, continue arguing my point of view and point out to him another legal factor that as a defendant in this case who has pointed out that I'm being down my constitutional rights can dealing with legal defense not even point out a law like he was violating section 1981 title 42 of the United States Government Code that's an old reconstruction law way back a hundred years ago it was made that said no black man specifically it a black man can be discriminated against in any court in America dealing with any legal proceedings concerning his legal defense that's important He actually, he outright violated that law. That's a law that backs up the constitutional right. And that's in the United States government code. Now, I would argue that, you know. And in the process of arguing it, he would begin to try to shout over me and shout, holler, holler loud so that what I was saying would not go into the record, you know, the recorded record that the recorder takes and makes a transcript of the trial and I began to shout and holler louder and pointed out to him that's what he was doing after he'd rushed the jury out of the room and it got to a point where Schultz and the prosecution all the motions were denied and part of the other lawyers for the other defendants all the objections are denied 99% when I say all 98, 99% uh, it's just over uh, a an railroad and with the DA's and government prosecution there, accusing mm-hmm. me of this, accusing me of that. Nobody's speaking to me, I begin to stop them, you know, and show them where they were playing little giant racist games. Little clear things, you know, like the power to the power to the people to salute. You know what I mean? Power to the people you know, the power of the people salute. Yes, Clench fists fist, uh, being raised. Now, Schultz jumped up and says, I'd like to enter some evidence and this evidence shows a young man on the picture uh, with a picture, a drawing of uh, uh, the Clinch Fist salute, which is a black power salute. And I says, no, I say, you got it wrong. I say, the Black Panther Party initiated that Clinch Fist salute. I say, that's directly related to me in this case. I said, it's a mischaracterization of the evidence. I said, the Clinch Fist is a power to the people salute which means all the people I say it's not limited I say for you to try to isolate it only to me and then try to mischaracterize it again later somewhere in the evidence I say it's going to project upon me and I say and that's erroneous you're mischaracterizing uh, the evidence that you're entering <laughs> I was trying to defend myself I said it just like that and boy what happens love Marshall's jammed shoving me in the chair, telling me to sit down and all this stuff, and I sit down and I'm still... uh, So I say, well, I see what's happening now. I say, you're just a giant racist, and then Schultz gets up and hollers in the court. Told the judge I call him a racist, and I say, that's right, you are a racist for trying to continue to mischaracterize it evidence like that, because I understand what you're doing. You're trying to isolate something specifically on me so you can later mischaracterize it. I say, "That's it's not right, because it really is, in fact, a power to the people salute. I went on the line and I said, in case you didn't know it, I said, if you want to know what power to the people mean, I said, it's simply read an old statement of government of the people, by the people, and for the people. You know? And then you sit down, you know? And uh, those are the kind of things that happen in court. And those are one, that and that particular thing I just got to explain is
0: supposedly one of the things that I'm in contempt for. Well, apart from the uh, treatment in the court, Bobby, Uh, about which there's been a good deal in the the papers Uh, how have you been treated uh, aside from that just in general by the people in whose custody you have been has there been any abuse of you or anything you would like to tell us
1: about the only abuse that I received since I've been in jail in terms of physical abuse was in Judge Hoffman's courtroom which come from Judge Hoffman himself there's no physical abuse in terms of striking and brutality and I'm pretty sure that uh, they are aware that if they do attempt one I will defend myself and two I would uh, readily let the world know you know because I don't bother them I don't say nothing to them you know if they come up to me and uh, you know uh ask me something I'll answer it you know. I don't uh, well see sometimes every once in a while you find a guy inside of a jail that he might have some human feelings about you know guys. I have met a number of them I met a lot of them in Chicago because there's a lot of black cats regular cats in the community running that jail and I'm not trying to justify jails but I'm trying to say that I'm not just going to I don't holler out of my cell every time one of them pass by cell door and holler calling by the pig or nothing you know but if one of them I've caught a couple of them around here to try to get me. I tell them you're acting like a fascist little racist pig and they shut up right away when they get really shitty you know who in the hell you Somewhere. think you are running around here you got all you know I just turn right around and call him that because that's what he's acting like you know but others they, as long as they don't bother me don't say no I don't say nothing to them you see? And generally that's the way I don't say nothing to them They don't bother me They me have, have my interviews They me have my business I get my commissary And I would suspect the main reason they don't bother me Because they know that the people outside are going to know about it And uh, I keep a watch out Well I'm kind of isolated But for possible other forms of brutality Which I haven't had a chance to observe any So far since I've been in jail here or in Chicago other than myself in court.
0: You said earlier on, uh, Bobby, that um, a number of people in the leadership ranks of the Black Panther Party have been uh, jailed and uh, shot, uh, some of them. Um, uh, do you feel that there is a new leadership arising out of the ranks of the party. I mean, uh, Eldridge is out of the country. Uh, Hugh is in prison. Uh, You are now in jail and with all the trials and things that are upcoming, uh, uh, you probably uh, have faced the fact that you may be for some time. Uh, How do you feel about uh, what's going to happen next as far as the people who believe as you do on the outside are concerned i like to say one that the party is uh,
1: it's, it's really grown and it's really progressed and the ideology uh, the perspective in politics and just the way the party itself as you notice is functioning with me in jail with Huey being in prison Incarcerated and elders being in exile shows that the party is really a leadership organ all in itself. Uh, Outside, we have David Hilliard, he's the chief of staff. We have Ray Masai Hewitt, he's the minister of education. Uh, In other states and other chapters and branches, we have people in those particular areas, like in Chicago, there's Fred, deputy chairman Fred Hammond, and Fred Hampton and uh, Deputy Minister of Defense um, Bobby Rush we have uh, Brother B.C. and a lot of the local chapter levels uh, the brothers are known as leaders of parties throughout their communities in their different areas in other states and other cities and some of them are known on a national scale to much of the uh, progressive forces in this country to many of the progressive peoples in this country but uh... As a whole, uh, we see the whole party as a leadership organ. We see that there's numerous people. He said say my brother is speaking now, <laughs> John Seal." So uh, that's uh, a <laughs> shock to me. I never imagined my brother speaking. He's really, they say he's, David is just telling me he's really developed politically. And uh, he's speaking now. So he's been in the party about a year now. And it's like... Uh, something like Eldred said that they can jail or kill us but when they jail or kill us all it does is bring forever on more you know when they kill Malcolm X that didn't stop the goals of Malcolm X and the objectives of Malcolm X to liberate black people uh, it just grew on even to a broader perspective you know so there's something like saying that Huey is the heir the heir of uh, he inherited Malcolm X uh, Malcolm X's job uh, all those brothers and sisters in the black community and black people and the people are the ones who really have, the masses, the desire to change the system and the struggle, the revolution, the ideas of uh, revolution, to each his own, each according to his ability, to each according to his needs, the idea itself. It's not manifested only in the one person, so when he says they can jail a revolution, revolutionary, but they can't jail a revolution, what he's really saying is uh, is that the sum total is not manifested in one body or one person, and that's true, you see. And the prison, the system, the demagogic politicians, the average businessman really have no victory, because the masses of the people are there the masses of the people are the one who decide to change so it's not really stopping the Black Panther Party the Black Panther Party started with two people <laughs> and uh, the more they attack us the stronger it gets it spreads now it has some 40 some odd chapters and branches scattered throughout the country <laughs> I guess uh, we can see that I mean I can see that you know I don't see it stopping the party. It just makes the people mad, and the people work hard to get it, harder to get us out of prison. Like we all work hard to keep Huey out of the gas chamber, and now we have to work hard to still get him out of prison. But he he's in fact a political prisoner.
0: Uh, well, you're in pretty deep right now, Bobby. Um, have you any regrets? Would you change anything? Uh, what's your own feeling about your own self at this point about my own self
1: I'm just one of the many millions of people who want change Uh, I wish like heck I was right out there right now (laughs) Uh, I know these are a bunch of trumped up flimsy charges and frame up charges and fascist operations and CIAs is working with them behind the scene and uh, I'll go back out there and I'll do the same thing to try to help the people to teach the people correct methods you know and uh, they would the power structure would attempt to do the same thing <laughs> so uh I don't want to be in prison no I don't You know, not even as a political prisoner. I know any any of us don't want to be that. But it's the struggle. And we can't worry about, we can't just sit down and stop and worry about every little thing that might happen to us or we never would be able to accomplish anything. So that's kind of the uh, way I think that we all see it. And then about uh, people, the masses and the things that are going on out there they are the ones uh, I remember when I was out there and working hard to free Huey Newton and to help keep Eldridge out of prison uh, I remember coordinating a lot of that propaganda work and getting leaflets and materials out and telling the people the truth um, that's the way I kind of see and hope that people are doing I'm still wanting Huey P. Newton to be set free you know, and all political prisoners all the black brothers and the Black Panther Party who are political prisoners those who are not even the white people and the Mexican Americans and the Los siete de la Raza here who are brothers who are political prisoners and uh, they're right here I, I get a chance to holler down the hall I don't see them unless they pass by myself going to their visits say power to the people to them they need freeing too and so I hope that the people out there are moving like the moratorium I was hoping that people in the moratorium can see that they're not going to be able to really stop imperialism abroad until they stop imperialism at home Uh, what we're talking about is that imperialism abroad If there's imperialism abroad, then it follows that more likely that there's... Imperialism is is a form of injustice to a people. So therefore there's more likely some injustice at home, you see? Uh, So it follows that they're going to have to get rid of imperialism at home before they can get rid of imperialism abroad. And it's like the way my here put it, uh, I read in the papers, you won't be able to stop the war in Vietnam until you come through Watts and Harlem and the Chicago Chicago communities and the brown communities, you know, until you begin to demand, you know, that they end the undeclared war against black people and poor, oppressing brown people and other peoples right here in America. This is uh, what's going to have to happen. I would like to see a lot of people in the moratoriums with signs saying, end the war against the oppressed people and black people here at home, you know, free all the political prisoners. We got 50 political prisons in America. Black brothers and sisters, Erica Huggins, uh, 14 brothers are, are being railroaded. Uh, that's what they intend to do, railroaders on this Connecticut these Connecticut charges that was just an to snatch up leaders all over the country you see we got brothers in Denver we got brothers in I think they had brothers out of Newark or something and out of Connecticut and you know they got me on that they jammed me and that was just an operation all I can see is an operation to snatch up as many leaders as they could which didn't stop the party though and I like to see the people in the moratorium with picket signs and stuff and placards and stuff saying end the war at home, you know. There's imperialism abroad and there's domestic imperialism at home. Domestic imperialism is a rapid, rapid, rampant, rapid growing fascism right here in America. And I hope they have some signs saying free the political prisoners. Oh, and another thing about the prisoners of war exchange, the proposal that the uh, Vietnamese have made, I've heard about <coughs> that Eldridge has had a chance to talk to the North Vietnamese government, and they proposed that through the party and through other pe- peace people working in the mobilization against the war in you know, Vietnam, that, that uh, they will release myself and Huey. If the United States government accepts a proposal of releasing myself and you and dropping all charges against us, they will readily begin to send uh, prisoners of war home, you know.
0: And even the Vietnamese,
1: the very people that the peace people are demanding that the government stop waging unjust war against, The very people that's receiving the blows from this war recognize the fact that imperialism at home has got to stop. And even European peoples, I know the Scandinavian and Swedish people and a lot of other students, they demonstrate in front of the uh, American embassies over there in support of the liberation struggle here in America and the freedom of political prisoners, black people, black here in America, you know so I hope that they go forth on that that would be some very concrete action that needs to be taken needs to take place on the part of many of the protesters and the millions of people to link up with the need to end imperialism end domestic imperialism right here at home too you know while they're doing that against the war in Vietnam also do that here too because that's very important because ultimately we will not end imperialism abroad until we end domestic a rapid growing fascism, as we call it, here in America.
0: Is there anything else you'd like to talk to us about, Bobby? Well, I guess I could go
1: on talking consistently about the historical experience of black people, about rapid growing fascism in America. And I guess I could talk about the party. The party is beautiful, it's sticking together we can uh, get pretty frustrated sometime with the peace movers and the peace people we're not we wouldn't have been frustrated with uh, John Brown what at all at all <laughs> uh, except that I wish that uh, a lot of the peace people especially the white peace people wouldn't uh, lag back so much just because they killed John Brown for trying to help black people and stop what was happening? Stop the injustice in this country. Uh, they can always remember that there's a follow of being able to defend themselves, like the black Panther Party themselves, realize the necessity to do.
0: Well, I, I think there are many sections of the uh, uh, of the general uh, radical and peace movement in this country, uh, and uh, it seems to me from the uh, people who whom one hears speak and the speeches that are made that a great many people today are making the connection between uh, what happens in this country I'm and sorry. what happens abroad. I, I think that's a growing uh, a growing consciousness uh, among among many, many people. Mm-hmm. I was just trying to stress
1: it because there's going to be so many million pe- millions of people coming up on this November 15th moratorium. Uh, across the country from Washington D.C. to San Francisco or wherever they are we hope that they would demand that the U.S. government recognize the Vietnamese people's proposal for the release of prisoners of war if uh, the U.S. government would see to it that uh, the political prisoners starting with myself Hugh and I would join it's, and to release us is not just for us to be here asking for we understand the scope of it But we hope that they understand that the millions of people, the reason that I guess they've chosen us naturally because we're the most too well-known political prisoners in the country presently, you know. And a lot of people could focus in on that to demand that the U.S. government recognize the Vietnamese people's proposal. And if they carry a lot of picket signs and stuff and stuff like that, it would become a part of, and it would really begin to show some concrete action Of them linking uh, uh, opposing uh, imperialism abroad and especially opposing it here, opposing it at home in America. Thank you very much, Bobby.
0: All right, thank you for coming up, and uh, I guess we'll see each other again sometime, Elsa. Yes, I hope so, and I'm sure we will. Okay, then. Power to the people.